Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the next Walkabout Talkabout. Uh, today, uh, I'm Lucas Martel, creator of Walkabout Mini Golf. Um, and today I'm here with Michael Wentworth Bell of Aspire, um, one of the awesome uh, stealth stealth games. I was about to say stealth shooter, but it's not really even a shooter. Um, but I'll take my first stroke here and then let, uh, let Mike introduce himself, talk about his studio and everything. Ugh. You see, this is the great thing about doing talkabouts. I actually don't get a chance to play a lot of the older <laughs> courses, and it's always nice to embarrass myself on the, yeah, on my own game. But yeah, tell us a little, little about you and the studio and what you guys are working on. Sure. Um, thanks for having us on, Lucas. I really appreciate it. Don't have to worry about embarrassing yourself. This being the last, <laughs> this is the last uh, nine holes of this level, yeah, because these are yeah, really is. hard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I don't know why I thought that this would be this, just like stylistically. I felt like, oh, this is kind of the closest thing we have to your game. So I was like, uh, but then I realized only a little too late. Oh yeah, grip to putt is on. Sorry, we changed that earlier. So you got to hold the grip button to I, activate your putter. For some reason, it's still red. Weird. I'll just um. Oh, maybe I I'll... know because it wants me to go a second time because we messed up the turn order. Oh, I'll get it that time. There we go. Nice job. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, um, I'm the creative director of the company Digital Load Immersive Media. We've mm -hmm. been around since about 2017 as a company. And um, to date, we've released uh, two Aspire, Aspire games. The inspiration's been kind of Goldeneye, Metal Gear Solid, and trying to reimagine mm -hmm. what stealth mechanics feel like in VR. What were some of the... Um what were some of the challenges and just sort of like VR is like, it is very much its own sort of like beast. I'm kind of curious, like even just like speed, like stealth. So many people are used to sort of like a certain speed involved in that. Whereas in VR, you just can't be moving that fast, both for comfort and just like physically you, you can't be doing that. I'm kind of curious. Yeah. What you, how you had to change sort of like some of the, the standard sort of like tropes of the genre a little bit coming over to VR. Yeah, there was a, a couple of um, big ones. I think a big one's patience, you know, like in a stealth game, you got to hide from the guard or mm -hmm. you're encouraged to. And in VR, that can get, I mean, it can get tedious in a stealth game just in general, but in VR, it's, it's, um, could be particularly tedious. So, yeah. you know, just trying to find ways where you've got a bunch of gadgets or things like having to repair your unit, you know, is, is quite interactive for, um, to hopefully give interest to players. Mm -hmm. um, the second one was the comfort. We early on really wanted to have smooth locomotion, which is kind of really challenging for first-time VR players. We didn't want to try and make a game that had teleport. We had seen budget cuts and thought they just nailed it. Um, that the, yeah. the other stealth game that um, has portal teleporting. Um, even then, I think they've added smooth locomotion down the track because players just want it in a, in a, you know, kind of shooter style game like that. So we yep. developed a kind of try to do a comfort feature that would um, hopefully let people play with full freedom of movement without, you know, getting sim sickness. They were probably the and two I biggest challenges, I think. And maybe you could talk a little bit more about that because I know sort of like the 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 scene. I guess I didn't I didn't quite catch what you had called it the scene um, 
uh, for basically the, the, what you're talking about with the sort of like the telescoping of your peripherals in order to sort of keep you focused and avoid the sickness. What did you call, what did you guys say that you had called it? It was called the control theater. So we should have picked a more catchy name, <laughs> but it was actually kind of the thing that <laughs> it kind of got us green lit. So, you know, trying to push around a, a prototype to get funding in 2017, we um, were having a hard time, but it was the control theater itself. In a nutshell, the kind of concept of Espire is you're a drone operator of the future. And so you're standing mm -hmm. in essentially a, a holodeck style room and you are using your VR headset to control this Espire frame that might be thousands of miles away. And so the the idea of the control theater was when you um, do any form of artificial movement where you're using a thumbstick, maybe you're falling off a cliff like this or coming down the stairs, but in the real mm -hmm. world you're standing still, the, the view of Espire will shrink to a floating iPad in front of you. And mm -hmm. in your peripheral vision, you'll see the control theater that you're standing in, in, in the, you know, the real world sort of thing. So th that was a way to try and like offer free, full, free, full freedom of movement and still maintain immersion. Mm -hmm. And it was successful That's at, at um, minimizing sim sickness. I can totally see that. I mean, like, that's emotion. definitely one of the things I've noticed, like, uh, especially, I noticed it most with um, squadrons, where just having the cockpit around you helped stabilize and just get put something in the foreground that helped make it so that it felt like, you know, even like the idea of sort of like planes of glass between you and the, uh, uh, between you and the outside world, it helped dramatically. But yeah, just having, just playing your game, I really noticed how much that, yeah, that the, the, how comfortable the movement was i have to admit i've also gotten to a point where i'm used to playing on such you know broken builds or like we've you know you're getting like 20 frames a second that i kind of have the iron stomach a little bit anymore so it's hard for me to uh i can i can still find plenty of ways to make myself uh see uh make myself yeah motion sick it's always whenever the horizon tilts like that's the number one thing to just make me sort of like insta not feel good but yeah agreed yeah. um with everything you said, I think we we probably didn't really um, succeed on the maintain immersion bit because it's kind of a grey box and, and so it does take you out of the experience a little bit. But we mm -hmm. did try to add a bunch of features where like based off what you're staring at, it'll um, a few times a second it'll kind of like um, lerp the colours of, of the um, theatre to match the, the general brightness. So if you're staring into like a light, and then if you turn your head and you're in the dark, it, the theater will kind of color match. That yeah. really helped. And um, yeah, I guess part of the fun was trying to get it to run on the quest. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. It. Uh, it's it's your turn, by the way. You uh, won that last hole, so you have honors. But uh, yeah, how how was the quest? Because did you guys start uh, aiming for quest or did you start aiming for PC and then come over? Heavily PC. We were... Um, um, hectically PC. We're a first-time dev team, and so I'd say pretty unoptimized on the PC. And mm -hmm. then through the pitch pitching process, we were trying to pitch through 2018, which is you know a dark year for VR. And so yeah, it got to a kind of point where the, it was only really going to be possible for us to get funding if we supported this up-and-coming you know Santa Cruz headset. And so we just said yes, we'll do it. We didn't even know anything about it. <laughs> And, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of along the way, just realized, yeah, this would be harder than we thought. So it, it took um, 
you know, a few months, but and ended up kind of having, I think, like a 13 or maybe 15% overhead to enable it, this control theater okay. on the GPU, but we thought it's worth it. Um, yeah, the, the, the overhead is a big thing that for folks who don't, who aren't doing like mobile VR development or standalone VR development, uh, a lot of it's usually like that transparent overdraw. Like anytime you've got stuff that's sort of like rendering a different scene on top of it, it is a massive, massive um, hit. But yeah, I'm I'm also kind of curious, sort of like other things that you ran into kind of coming over to Quest beyond just optimization. Like, did that change much? Like not having not having the cable, did that change sort of like how you were doing it? Or at that point, had you already sort of like developed enough that? Uh, it didn't really have that big of an effect on on the, the, the game design, I guess. It had a pretty big effect on the game design because we were originally developing when it was just the original Rift CV1, which was a headset that um, only supported really front-facing um, uh, play. So you, if you turned mm-hmm. around, um, it was it was difficult. And also we were supporting the, the PSVR one, which was similar. So oh, yeah. our game design um, only really catered for that by um, rendering a, um, certain colors in the control theater so that you kind of knew if you were facing the front versus the back with a um, kind of a warning to turn around if you were 180. It was, I guess, just okay. freedom a bit to, to be able to um, not have to worry so much about that on the, on the other platforms. Yeah. But it was I th- mostly, a, a, I'd say, a level design um, thing for us like we we'd already kind of gone a year and a half into a game that was designed for PC and then moving to Quest we had to make some pretty serious level design changes so that we could um, you know r- render it on the Quest or, or even launch the levels on the Quest that makes a lot of sense you know something that you said earlier got me thinking because um, one of the other things that's also very different about VR is that you're really locked into first person there's been a couple of people who've done like Moss is, a, is one of the few examples like a, of a truly like third person perspective game but I'm trying to actually think of a stealth title that is first person from a design standpoint does that also change of just sort of like you're not able to see around corners to see where enemies have you actually or are you actually have to stick your head out did that how much of an effect did that have on the game design um yeah i think it's an awesome question because we we kind of spent a long time looking at games and i couldn't initially think either i think the big ones that we looked at or the big one we looked at was the dishonored uh games they, they were like first oh, yeah. person stealth that had you know oh, and also we considered like um dares x or deuce x to be you know stealth as well they they really offer stealth and so the, mm-hmm. the we were looking at how do they kind of have a you know visual information system so that players know where the enemies are, are coming from or if an enemy's suspicion level is growing and so that was um really fun the the it, it meant that we added a lot of tools that like we have a feature called espire vision where you can see through the um see through walls like an x-ray effect it's also got night vision kind of view mode in it and so that helped a lot and then standard kind of threat threat arrows from um games like titanfall where you could they could appear because they're 3d you can kind of tell oh that that person is behind and above me yeah to to try and help with the um yeah just letting you know where the enemies were and we also added hand cameras so each of your hand had um these these cameras on them you could put your hand around the corner to see if the enemies are around Oh, I don't think I actually got to... Uh, I don't think that I... Because I played it a decent bit, but I don't know if I actually got to that upgrade. 
Um, but that's pretty cool. Yeah, we, I'm, I'm, it's why I'm trying to picture how that would feel, but I suppose it's essentially like you're looking almost like at a like a, a monitor on your wrist almost when you're doing it, right? Yeah, in the first game, um, it, it would um, appear and you could take... I'm trying to use my other hand to demonstrate. But you could basically like pick the camera off and throw it, which was fun. But we realized mm-hmm. in the first game, no one really used it. And so in the second game, we added it for um, our Cinder frame. And I think we found two, no one really used it. <laughs> and and But you could still reposition the camera, look around corners and also attach it to weapons. So so there are, like, you know, fun uses for it, but I, I suppose we didn't really eke them out enough. Um, oh, yeah. Sort of a design thing of, like, yeah, encouraging people to do that. Um, I'd imagine, too, that's also something, like, something as complex as a stealth game requires a lot of just training in terms of just how to do it because there's so many different ways you can gamify things. Oh, I hate this hole. Uh, I hate this hole. <laughs> let me let me take a moment to take this really seriously. Okay. Oh, this isn't the hard version. You can go a little. You can go a little fast, and it won't kill you. Um, but yeah, stealth is just a, a genre that there's just so many different things that you could do. You talked a little bit about some of those in terms of how you were sort of hinting at that. I'd imagine that the. Uh, the idea that you had is sort of like that you're controlling these robots, the frames as you call them. Um, that gave you guys a lot of license to add in some of those, some of like the UI elements. Um, I'm curious, yeah, if there were any other big sort of like game design things or systems that maybe kind of came up organically in the process of making the game that kind of maybe even changed the direction or, uh, yeah, just sort of like change your approach of how you're doing it with with having all of that VR UI stuff to sort of help hint at what was going on for people. The biggest one, I think, was we added cheats late in the development of Aspire One. We were inspired big time by Goldeneye, how it had mm-hmm. cheats like big head mode and really fun novelty stuff, or even some anti cheats as well. And so mm-hmm. we, one of them was like tiny Aspire, where you were essentially you know three foot tall or you know, 90 centimeters tall. And testing that out, we, we thought, this is really funny. We, the first level of the game was really hard to complete because you were so small, you couldn't reach, mm-hmm. you know, some key stuff. And so we, for the sequel, decided to, like, double in on that and make frames that one was six foot and one was three foot. And we would scale the user's IPD so mm-hmm. the world would feel small or large, just like what, what you all do when you kind of go into the guard mode. Yeah, and that changed a lot of the game design because we thought, oh, cool, because now there's some stuff you get for free. Players' arms are too small; they can't throw things as far, or um, a, a player's tall enough to reach a ledge that's up high. And so we could kind of also differentiate what their um, ab- their abilities were too. So there's kind of a small frame, quite weak, has the ability to, um, with its Aspire vision, to see through walls, and if it focuses on a enemy soldier you can see their patrol path and you can see an estimate of what their cone of vision is and then the tall frame has got the hand cameras you know to um as well yet to sort of hopefully split up the the mechanics a bit and the and the ui that's super cool yeah that you yeah taking advantage of that and like yeah we found the same thing that that those things that you can't do in real life, like making someone giant or small, or even some of those special 
special abilities or just yeah anything that's sort of like that just like little details of stuff that that gives people a sort of like a different view of the world is super fun and if you build that in from the get-go which sounds like with aspire 2 you guys knew that was something that so you kind of designed everything to to work from that so maybe there's puzzles that are well i guess it's not like you can't necessarily switch between any of them at any given time if i remember right um, it's sort of like certain modes, you sort of like switch between them. So it's not like you're designing every puzzle to be completed in two different ways, right? Yeah, I, I think we we probably scraped the surface in doing our post-mortem. We thought, oh, we could have, you know, done so much more. We In the single-player campaign, by the time you get to the third mission, you, you can switch between them in, um, if almost for the entire level. And okay. there's certain certain pathways to to give mostly goodies um, like ammunition or um, weapons and then mm-hmm. in the co-op campaign you can you can play as the one you have to be either with the two players you, you both have to choose one frame each but there's some oops, <laughs> progression kind of blockers and stuff but we thought cool that, mm-hmm. you know if we ever get to make an SPO3 we, we can kind of take that on steroids very cool um well, I'm kind of curious, sort of like we've been talking a lot about sort of like, yeah, just sort of like, yeah, the the stuff that you guys had done and sort of learned, but I'm kind of curious what you guys are working on next or just sort of like what's, yeah, what's kind of getting you excited in the VR space? Yeah, I, I think we've been working on a roadmap for Aspire 2 to deliver um, a bunch of new content and features. And along the last few months, one of the things that have has really become an opportunity for us was to make a, a mixed reality game mode for Espire. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've kind of called it the Espire MR missions. And the, the kind of concept is really, you know, the world's first stealth game in your house. So we're using Meta have a Meta Reality Scene API and as a player it's a big ask. You've got to kind of add your rooms and add your desks and cupboards and many items at the moment it's quite manual uh, okay. in the future hopefully it'll be an automatic step but you can actually add well, probably three rooms of your house uh, connected and so we've tried to build a procedural game mode that'll kind of add enemies and add laser threats and basically add all the mechanics of our game security cameras and um, sleeping kind of mechs and then you've got to sneak your way through to complete um, some objectives there's, you know, maybe you have to find a guard to put on a retinal scanner, which mm-hmm. opens a hacking laptop that you can hack. And so it's been super fun It's and super challenging. Like the team have been pulling their hair out to try and make it uh, work. <laughs> but it, it's been yeah. been exciting. That's super cool. I, I, yeah, I've only dabbled a little bit with that. Like, so... Because Walkabout started off as a as an AR thing, so we've actually I've, I've dabbled a decent bit with that. I actually haven't got a chance to sink my teeth into the, all of the meta, um, their sort of like scene thing. But I know like when it would have been a couple of years ago that I was really playing around with it a lot, and yeah, it was it's super cool, but incredibly technically challenging. Just because yeah, you have to like find a way to deliver a good game experience in any shaped space. Um, but yeah, what are the what's the I mean just the straight technical of getting it all to work what's the biggest design challenge with something like that mr version i guess there's a challenge of not knowing what the player base like or 
target audience, how they'll react with mixed reality or what they will um, use it, how they'll use the tech. And so yeah. in that approach, trying to make a fun experience that starts small and maybe supports a, a three by three meter room, assuming you've got like a desk and a bed in it or something, and then can scale up to two or three rooms. I, I felt like we, we made a decision. We're, we're not going to try and solve that one. We'll, we'll just make a series of levels that are for small, medium and large environments and then try and um, base, we, we sort of have like a room review step at when you launch mm -hmm. the mode and it'll um, cut your your entire level into zones or your level your your space space into you know a series of zones and based off that some of the content may be locked away if, if it's incompatible with your space for example like some players might not have right angle uh, walls and there's some oh, levels yeah. that are assuming walls at um, corners and so we thought we might try and do the classic game Perfect Dark. It, it had a um, one of my favorite games on the Nintendo 64 on the back of the box. It, it sort of showed if you had the Nintendo 64 expansion pack, this is how much is unlocked, 33%. And if you don't, uh, it, it, sorry, 100%, if you don't have it, there's only 33% unlocked. So we've that's our current approach that we're shipping it later this year to try and like unlock as much of the content as possible based off your room size and then gotcha. lock away the ones that just uh, we think won't work. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's super. It's super interesting, and it's very sort of like yeah, just sort of like that's the that's the thing that everyone's trying to figure out. But even like as big of a shift as it was to go into VR and start to tackle some of those problems, MR is a there are a lot of new yeah of of new challenges and new unknowns. And like you said, you don't even quite know like what people are going to respond to or what's you know felt like by the time like when we were working on walk about it so like had a good idea sort of like what was working what wasn't so there's some examples of some really really great games out there but there's there's almost nothing out there right now in terms of mr so yeah you're really sort of like out in the wild west on the yeah the the frontier sort of like just figuring out what works and doesn't that's super cool it's kind of been it you know really exciting for for first time in a few years because it, it's like vr is always exciting and and or just immersive media and so mm -hmm. It, it, this one, this has been a project that's kind of been like overall fun. There's a few mm -hmm. people in, in, in the team, um, Alex Hewings and, and Patrick, who are probably saying it's not fun. It's really stressful, but I think overall we've we've found it really because there is that technical thing. Like we've had to upgrade the engine of the game post-launch to support this feature and and swap right. to the to the Vulcan render and stuff. So it's been a real. Um, technical challenge but it's the it's starting to kind of come to the bit where oh, it's looking fun now like the, it's starting to actually be fun is there a specific like timeline for that that feature or that release or anything or is it sort of like as it's ready basically um this year probably q4 so we're um and the fun thing is it kind of supports all the quest headsets so on the quest 2 it, i feel like it's it's still a fun experience it is a bit more I, i'd say dangerous because you you got you are closed off so like you're saying with the iPhone um, you can't even when you have the Quest 2 on you can't see the world around you other than the black and white pass through and the yeah. colour virtual reality objects are compelling compared to the black and white so you sort of there's a risk that you can be a bit um, distracted I guess interesting so that totally makes sense yeah that. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, but it, I mean, but obviously that's also sort of like so future-proof just for, I mean, as we're recording this, I know Quest 3 has been announced and it's going to have all of that, you know, the pass-through MR and everything. Um, probably the Apple will be announced by the time this airs, so I probably shouldn't say too much because I'll more than likely I'll just be wrong making my uh, predictions on what that's going to be, so... <laughs> Yeah. I'm also kind of curious to pick your brain a little bit on this multiplayer, especially for for your game. Sort of like, what were the... Because that changes quite a bit. And I haven't actually played Aspire 1, but did that one have multiplayer as well? No, it didn't. So it was our first multiplayer game. Okay. And how did that sort of like, from a design standpoint, going from stealth to something like that, like what was the sort of like... Yeah, from a design standpoint, how how did that sort of um, how did that sort of evolve? It, I guess it was um, it was difficult. We being our first multiplayer game, we were kind of just learning um, the the core of trying to make a multiplayer experience at the same time with Aspire Two, mm-hmm. and we I guess the biggest ch- challenge. Just were we? I'd, I'd say in a post sort of mortem reflection, we, we focused too much on the technical side of it, and so we had um, okay. a, the challenge of trying to do the different heights um, co-op and eking out like a, a experience where the players are encouraged to work together. With the stealth, it was always a challenge too, where the um, you know we had the. Um, one player that might give away their position and, and ruin the perfect stealth run. So trying to hope hope that was going to be a fun experience too. And also there's some players that just want to take the action approach. So we did work to, to try and, um, you know, cater to a stealth a- action thing. We added like a badge system and star rating so that if you're playing with your, your friend and you wanted to really try hardcore stealth, you could be going for five stars, five badges, and then progressively if certain things go wrong, if you let combat kind of enter the fray or if you if mm-hmm. you kill an enemy in, instead of sort of um, incapacitating him by knocking him out you'll slowly lose badges so hopefully with two friends you could kind of go let's try and go for the ultimate stealth run and if we mess it up doesn't matter let's now go for you know a, a um, five star run still even though we lost a couple badges or you could kind of mm-hmm. go let's go for the quickest run we can and um, you know tell with it with all the um Stealth. Let's just go full action. So, yeah, that, there was a yeah. hope that you know it could cater to a few play styles. Yeah, I mean, co-op VR is still what I'm surprised at how few co-op VR games there are out there. But there is something really fun about that, and like anything that gets you sort of like talking with your friends or whoever you're playing with, just to like it really sort of like yeah, the social aspect of it is. I'm constantly surprised at how how much that adds to the experience. So yeah, um, well, Mike, thank you so much for yeah for uh, for joining us today. Um, anything else that you want to mention or plug or talk about? Oh, I, I guess I just mentioned um, firstly thanks for having me on. It, it's been really cool. Got to meet you in person at, at the GDC conference this year. Um, as a company, we've had to. I, I want to mention we've had to do a downsize um, this year. So. There's a few people in our team that are absolute superstars that we've had to let go, and and um, yeah, hoping that they find awesome work and um, we're still continuing as a company, despite obviously having to do that. Um, our, we're excited to share more about our Aspire MR mode and Aspire um, Two this year. 
Awesome. Well, yeah, check out uh, check out uh, MR Mode coming later this year. And uh, yeah, we'll see everybody next time. Thanks for joining. <laughs>